This morning, this second Sunday of Advent, we will be focusing on this idea of prophecy or preparation. As Christ is born, we have to remember that Christ did not come onto the scene unannounced. What made the birth of our Savior so much more important is that people have been longing for His birth for many, many generations prior to His arrival. And today we'll be taking a look at Matthew chapter 2. And as we begin in Matthew chapter 2 in a second, um, let us remember and ponder this second candle that we have lit today. The candles represent light. And Rhonda and I were commenting just the other night that this is the time of the year that is the darkest of all the months. Have you noticed that? It's not only that the sun goes down much earlier uh, in the afternoon. It seems like when it's dark at night, it's the darkest. It seems more dark in December than any other time of the year. And so the coming of our Savior is a bright light. And today we'll be taking a look at Matthew chapter 2 and seeing exactly another great light that led those who were faithful to the feet of our Lord. Let us stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 2, the first ten verses. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father God, you have shared with us in Matthew's gospel this glorious event. And this is more than just a Sunday school story or a story to remember at Christmas time with our children. This is a real event in your real world, a supernatural occurrence that we cannot take lightly. And so God, I pray today that you would show us exactly what you're trying to tell us and show us in this star that guided pagan minds to the feet of your Son, Jesus Christ. This is more than just a fanciful tale. It is your divine providence and your divine hand interceding and saving this world. 
and saving your people. So let us hear from you today, Lord, we pray. Clear our hearts, clear our minds. Let us receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Interesting story. How many of, I mean, how many of us have heard this story before? If, if you've, even if you're not a Christian, if you've never been in church, you will know this story somehow in our culture. We talk about the wise men coming and, and bringing gifts to the Christ child. But at the heart of this story, I want us to be reminded that this is a story not just about wise men from the East, the Magi. This is a story about a, a supernatural event of a star that guided people to the birthplace or at least where the child was. Amen? A child who had been born. Now, historically, scholars will, will say, and I think rightly so, that this did not happen on the night of Jesus' birth. Perhaps it occurred a year later, two years later, because it would have taken time for these men to have traveled as far as they did. And when you read in verse 11 of Matthew 2, we see it's not that they're going to a stable where the shepherds went. They went to a house in Bethlehem where a child was. So perhaps after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary took up residence in Bethlehem for a short season for the child to grow and become stable and for Mary to recover and be the mother of an infant that needed to be. And so by the time these magi arrived, a glorious event was occurring. But at the center of this is not the wise men, and at the center is not Herod the king. At the center of all this is a star. And that's what I want us to pay attention to today. Because this star has significant influence. It has importance here. In verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, right there we know that this occurred after his birth, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These men were following a star. And for us, in our modern ways of thinking of science and astronomical science and all this stuff of trying to figure out the patterns of the stars, we have magi who did the same in a mystical way, in a religion of their own. Perhaps they were of this religion called the Zoroastrians, and that's a different conversation altogether, but they were from the Far East. They were from... uh, Babylon, that area, Persia, Babylon, that area of the Middle East, coming to Jerusalem first, looking for the king of the Jews that was born. Why is this important? Because even pagan mystics understood the importance of a great ruler. They, these, these, these pagan mystics understood that in Jerusalem there was a prophecy that a great king would be born. Pagan mystics who were perhaps influenced greatly 
by the cap, or by the exile and the captivity of, of Israel centuries before, generations before. You realize God, even in his exile of his people in the Old Testament, while they were living in exile, God told them, you'll be there through the prophets, Jeremiah, you'll be there 70 years. <laughs> while you're there, build houses. Have businesses. Make a life. You're going to be there a while. They developed a culture within an, a pagan culture. There is no doubt that the influence of Israel in captivity in Babylon influenced their scholars. And these magi would have had records of the Jewish scriptures, of the prophecies of old. So even as God punishes his people, he still is using that for the coming of the Messiah. And we see that here. Even pagan mystics understood how important this king would be. In verse 2, they say, we saw his star, this king of the Jews that they had been, even they had been looking for, for generations. This season of Advent, yes, is for God's people. But we see here in Matthew's gospel an account of pagans who also were looking forward to this great king. This idea of the star is repetitive through this text. We see in verse 2, also in verses 5, right, talking about the prophet, sent, talk, calling about them, but the star is repeated in verses 7, 9, and 10. Because when we read about Herod, when Herod summons these magi, these wise men, verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He's calling in, uh, calling in these wise men, these, these magi. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And in verse nine, the star is mentioned again. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The star is all through this story. This star led these magi from their homeland in Persia, Babylon region, all the way to Jerusalem. And even as they are dealing with the deceptive Herod the king, <laughs> the star is there guiding them. Now, why is this important? It's important because this star is something that I think is bigger than what our modern mindset can think about. The magi... They, they were known for watching the stars. They knew the patterns of the stars. It was part of their religion. It was not just a, a, an astronomer's science. It was deeper than this. These magi who were pagans watched the heavens and they understood that, that these stars in the heavens represented something bigger than themselves. They watched these stars as if they were heavenly beings. And so they understood from prophecy 
And from even their mathematical calculations of where stars would be at certain times of the year, and they could even predict years in advance where stars and planets and things would be in the sky. They knew the math that well from their education, from their observations, from their religion. And here they are following the star, a single star. But they come to Jerusalem and Herod, let's look back up here in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this about them looking for the king of the Jews, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Not just Herod, but all of Jerusalem. These pagans were alert and waiting for and anticipating the birth of this great king. Yet, God's own people, even the people under this great king themselves were asleep. They were not watching. Because had they been watching and had they been paying attention to the prophets of old, they would have known this time was coming. They had to have pagans come and alert them to the fact that a great king was born. Not just Herod the king himself, a vile king, who really, he wasn't even a Jew. He he was an Edomite, not even part of God's people. And all of Jerusalem. And in verse 4, Herod assembles all the chief priests and all the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. See, Herod doesn't even know. That tells you right there he doesn't know his scriptures, he doesn't know his prophecy, he doesn't know God's promises, he doesn't know the covenants. And he had to inquire, where is the Christ to be born? And of course, the chief priests and the scribes knew, because they knew the scriptures, they knew that he would be born in Bethlehem, as we have read in Micah chapter 5. Prophecy to come. But let's take a look here. Micah's prophecy... We just read it today as part of our um, part of our worship time. Micah prophesied. Micah was a minor prophet, but his prophecy was significant. It, Micah he would condemn the wealthy of Israel of his day. He was a contemporary of Isaiah around seven fifty to seven hundred BC, and his prophecy, Micah's prophecy, would be looking at the affluent Israel and say, "Your wealth." is not going to save you. Your wealth will condemn you. Your wealth will send you into exile. Yet here is the coming of a greater king than you could ever imagine. In a time of economic prosperity, Micah condemns the wealthy and he tells them about many troubles that will surround them. And his prophecy encourages the faithful to be patient, even in the midst of hard exile and hard punishment of their enemies. There will be severe times coming, but after the severe times, through patience and loyalty to the Father God, He will protect you and will send a great king. This Bethlehem of Judah is not insignificant. It is a distinction here of a Bethlehem that was clearly where David was born, the birthplace of David, a very specific place, Bethlehem or Ephrathah, a specific village, a specific place 
And God speaks through Micah in Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. God is speaking here through Micah at the time that to Bethlehem, that they will be used to bring forth a king for who? For God. And this is the time in Matthew 2 where God's words come to be. They come true. God's words indicate that what he does not intend to destroy, he's not going to destroy his people. He's going to intend restore them again. And this is the prophecy that even the pagan mystic magi know. And so here it is, Bethlehem, a small place of little of little significance, a place where the city is called the city of David, an obscure small place, insignificant, is where the king was to be born. That's probably why Herod was not worried. Bethlehem? What good comes from Bethlehem? Not much according to Herod, but according to God, yes. A great king would come. Now, the significance here as they come into Bethlehem, after they leave Herod in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 2, the Magi, they follow this star again. The star has led them from their homeland to the King Herod in Jerusalem. And now let's, let's pay attention here to verses 7 through 10 as this star guides them. The star, as it had appeared, continues to guide them. That's interesting. You and I think of stars as these twinkly things up in a dark night sky. Does anybody ever do any stargazing? It's difficult to do that uh, for several reasons. One uh, is because of our light pollution of our modern cities. It's difficult to see stars. If you ever have the privilege of going somewhere without the light pollution in the darkest of night, the sky is not dark, is it? It is Full. It's almost like a paintbrush. Has anyone ever experienced that level of stargazing? You see, our modern mindset can't really picture exactly what these ancient magi were seeing. They were fascinated with the night sky because it wasn't just a bunch of little dots. It was like a paintbrush. Just put this in your mind. A paintbrush of light. It was alive. The sky was not dead. The sky was not dark. A night sky, as it should be truly seen, is as alive, probably more alive than our daytime sky. What does our daytime sky look like? I mean, on a beautiful day, it's blue. You might even have some wonderful puffy clouds. And as the sun rises or as the sun sets, you have more color. But at nighttime, If you could truly see the heavenly stars, you would be in awe. Would you all agree? Try to think of that as these magi were following the star. And as they were leaving Herod in verse 7, they are looking up at the stars again. And this star that is guiding them is still there, taking them where they need to go. Now, we have to think about this. The significance of a star in Scripture, the the star is often used to describe God's glory. We have to remember that in context of how we think about 
astronomy and the stars now. Has anybody ever had to take astronomy in school? Yeah. It's very mathematical, it's very scientific, and it's very structured. But you kind of lose the, the imagination and the beauty. We lose the enchantment of the night sky sometimes if we get too mathematical. In Scripture, stars are describing God's glory. Stars describe His radiance. Something beyond our comprehension, beyond our making. We can make wonderful things as human beings, but we can't make a star. We can't make a beautiful night sky. And in Scripture, every time the stars are mentioned, it's describing God's glory. So as these magi are following the star in Matthew chapter 2, imagine what they're following. They're following the glory of our Lord all the way to the feet of Christ. It's not just a bunch of astronomers with computers and calculators trying to figure out where the stars and the planets are going to move and rotate next. They are enraptured with the glory of God on this journey. And the glory of God has even protected them. Even in verse 7, when they go to Herod and Herod summons them and he he asks them about this child who would be born. God's glory is there. You see that? Old Testament prophecies who speak of the Messiah speak of a star. Well, particularly in Numbers chapter 24, there is a prophecy of the Messiah. A star shall come forth from Jacob. In the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus is referred as the bright and morning star. So when we're thinking about in Scripture the idea of a star, it seems like it is much different than our modern mindset of stars, isn't it? This is what I want us to ponder today. The distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Notice, remember, the Magi came a long distance from Persia and Babylon to Jerusalem. Several hundred miles, I'd say months worth of journey. And they come to Jerusalem and then they have to go one more journey, just six miles to Bethlehem. Six miles. That's the, that's the distance. So when we read here in verses seven through ten, as these magi were leaving King Herod and going to Bethlehem, the star leads them six more miles. Herod's scholars, they actually sent the magi to this house. They said, our king will be born in Bethlehem. Oh, that's just down the road. But they also send them to this star. This doesn't take them to Bethlehem. This star takes them to a particular house in Bethlehem. Now, that's not some astronomical ball of gas a million miles away. A star that leads these magi not just to a town, but to a house in that town. That's beyond an astronomer's comprehension how that could even be. Now, if the Bible is the Word of God, and if the Bible is without error in all that it says, then stars are not what we have all been quietly assuming them to be as we think about this story. This is what I want us to ponder today. 
And maybe you can help your children and your grandchildren to think about this in a different way this year. It's more than just a scientific event. And I have to confess, at 53 years old, every time I hear a sermon or someone teaching on this passage, they're bringing into the teaching scientific astronomy, trying to determine if the star was a star or was it just an alignment of constellations that had some brightness in the sky. That's all well and good, and perhaps that's the way it happened. I don't know. But what the Bible tells me is that stars represent God's glory. This is God's glory leading these men. The modern mind sees stars. Really, if you look up in the sky and you listen to the scientists, this is how they describe space. Stars and planets and galaxies really represent a debris field left over from an explosion sometime in our past. That's how it's described. You know the Big Bang Theory? Which I think the Big Bang Theory probably has some merit. Clearly has merit. It's more biblical than any other theory I've ever heard astronomers talk about. Yet when we describe space in our modern mindset, we're thinking of stars and Planets as leftover debris from an explosion. We think about space in the modern mind as empty and dark, a cold vacuum. Almost like utter dead, a a deadness in space. That's how we think about space. Satan and his demons, I think, use this idea in the modern mind and they may have even perhaps initiated this line of thinking to separate man's mind from the creation of God himself. Here's how the ancient mind used to think of the heavens. Number one, they never thought of space as we think of space. The heavens were alive. The heavens were not just this empty, dark, cold vacuum. The heavens were filled with God's glory. Yet in our mindset of this modern age, we don't think of of the heavens that way. We think of it as space, as cold and empty. If we think of it that way, we are separating ourselves from God's glory and His presence. The heavens are filled with God's glory. We have three heavens. Well, let me back up here. Let's remember, nowhere in Scripture are the heavens referred to as space. I don't think of any English translation that has ever translated the word for heavens as space. There's a reason for that. In Scripture, we have three heavens. We have the sky that we have here, our atmosphere, the blue sky, you know, where we breathe (laughs) and fly around in planes. That's the first heaven. That's the sky. The second heaven is the heavens that we're talking about that modern science calls space. That that area outside of our atmosphere is the second heaven that is filled with the heavenly host. And the third heaven that is referred to often, and even Paul the Apostle speaks of this, is the place beyond the heavens outside of our atmosphere. The heaven is beyond even that where the throne room of Christ himself and God the Father resides. That's how Scripture speaks about the heavens. 
That's how the ancient mind thought about the heavens. When they looked up at the night sky, what they were seeing was the entry room, if you will, the welcoming room to heaven. And the stars were the heavenly beings waiting for us to come. You getting that picture? That's what the Magi were thinking. That's even what the ancient Israel mind was thinking. This is what the scribes and the Pharisees were thinking. The ancient mind at the time of this calling of the Magi would have, would have seen the night sky not as an empty dark vacuum of space. Because if this were the case, humanity would be further and separated from God in His glory than they really are. That's why I think this idea, I mean, I'm not saying that science is wrong here. They, I mean, clearly, if you go outside of our atmosphere, you're not going to survive very long. Let's just make that clear. You go outside of our atmosphere, you will die pretty quickly. Okay. There's no air. There's no oxygen. Okay. It's very cold. Okay. Um, and the stars and the planets and the galaxies are very, very far away from one another in relation to our concept of space and time and distance. But if we think about the heavens this way, if we think about the night sky as a vacuum, a black deadness, we're isolating ourselves from God's presence. Instead, the night sky in this ancient time was seen as the entry room to heaven, um, the foyer, if you will. The ancient minds saw the heavens at nighttime as the foyer or the entry room into a greater heaven that was beyond it. In other words, the heavens at night were the outskirts of the central heaven that was beyond it. The stars of the night in the ancient mind, and even Scripture speaks of it this way. Whenever Scripture speaks of stars, they're referring to the stars as heavenly beings, a part of God's heavenly host, His army in the heavens, waiting for God to say, go get my people. They are standing in the heavens, these heavenly hosts. They're standing in the heavens. It's a welcoming room pointing to a deeper heaven, Beyond that, where God the Father is, yet He's also here too. That's the magical mystery, the divine truth of the, of the Christmas story. God is not separated. He's here as well. But no, try to think this is, here's the big word here. This is the cosmological ways of thinking of God's created order. He made Earth, where we live. He made all the planets and the stars and the galaxies and the gases and everything that is out there. Yet it's not deadness. It's alive. And it's bringing us and pointing us to His glory. As the Magi traveled at night, they were either doing some very serious mathematics on the backs of camels as they were trying to navigate the stars, or there was something more spiritual going on here. And I like to think of the latter. Because think about this. This, this star guides them from their home 
to Jerusalem and then six more miles to Bethlehem and stopped right over a house. I, when I read this, I don't imagine a star that is hundreds of miles or thousands of miles or millions of miles away shining down on this house. I think of the radiance and the glory of this star literally right above the house. A heavenly being led the way and rested over the house where the Christ child was. If modern scientific thinking about space and the heavens is correct, then stars millions of miles away align just perfectly for these months or these days. But if the ancient mind's perspective is correct, if the biblical understanding of star is correct, then this was not something some ball of gas millions of miles away. This was God's glory present. A heavenly being physically obeying God the Father and coming and resting over a house in a little village in Bethlehem. See that? The star was then a heavenly being in the service to God the Father. And this heavenly being guided the willing feet of pagans who were more faithful than even God's people in Jerusalem. This heavenly being, God's glory, guided the willing and faithful feet of these magi to the feet of Christ himself. That's how I like to think of this story. Amen? Perhaps this is similar to what we may think of as an angel. Angelic beings are also known as heavenly beings. And stars can also be seen in Scripture in that light. Was it a real angel? I don't know. It's a heavenly being of some kind that rested over this little house. We could also think about this in a greater context outside of Matthew 2 and Luke chapter 2 when we read the story, and we'll read this and focus on this on Christmas Eve. That's the night to think of this story in Luke chapter 2 when the heavenly host comes and wakes up the shepherds in the fields and scares them to death. (laughs) These were heavenly beings arriving to tell them of the coming and the birth of the king that was prophesied of old. If that's the case, imagine this. These heavenly beings, perhaps stars in the sky, or it seems like stars in the sky, this radiant glory came into the presence of these fearful shepherds. They came from the heavens outside of our atmosphere into our atmosphere to wake them up. And when their proclamation and their declaration of the birth of the Savior was done, these, imagine this light, these heavenly beings, these angels, zooping back up into the sky where they were nor- where they began. Can you imagine that? Picture it this way, like in our... Of course, I'm a Star, star Wars nerd and a Star Trek nerd. And when Captain Kirk says engage, or when the Millennium Falcon starts off in their hyperspace, what happens to the stars? Something like that maybe happened here. Now, some of you are shaking your head going, pastor's reaching there, brother. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to think 
in a creative and an imaginative way of what this might have looked like for these men and for these shepherds. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know that some ball of gas millions of miles away is what happened here. I'm thinking there must have been something bigger at play. Even if it was a ball of gas millions of miles away, can you imagine how God even used that to shine focus on one house in the middle of Bethlehem? That's even a bigger... I'm trying to think, paint this picture in a creative mind because it is something beyond human comprehension here. You can even use the language here of enchantment. These magi were enchanted by following this star. So as we're preparing here to worship our Lord on Christmas here in 20 days, 20 days, y'all ready? Christmas is a coming. Are we remembering the excitement of a star that led Magi to a house, led them to the feet of Christ. There's absolutely nothing else that could do that but God's glory. His Holy Spirit guided these men to the feet of His Son and did it through some form of a heavenly being that we can't even fathom Whatever the star is, it was a star, but again, Scripture refers to stars as heavenly beings. What does that look like? I don't think we'll know. Maybe when we get to heaven, maybe we'll understand the bigger picture here. I don't know. What I'm asking us to do here is not get so, not, not get so blinded by science. Science is good, but let's not let science keep us from losing or keep us from seeing the beauty and the enchantment of God's glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And oh, what a night this must have been as the Magi were coming. And I can even imagine as Mary and Joseph and Christ as the infant were just struck by the glory of the whole event. Lord, I pray that you would cause us here who live so many centuries beyond this time to imagine exactly what it was like for your son to be born. In one way, it was a very discreet and insignificant event. A small child was born. But then there was so much more surrounding it that your word tells us of that we can't think exactly what it would have been like. But these magi that you called to come and give honor to a king that even your people in Jerusalem ignored That was amazing. And you guided them with your Holy Spirit. You guided them with the glory of your creation in ways that we cannot even fathom. And so God, help us to embrace the beauty of this season 
And I pray, God, that you would protect our minds and our being from the busyness and the stress and the fear and the anxiety that secular Christmas celebrations bring. I pray this is the time of year as we close out this month that you would love us and and embrace us and cause us to think in ways that are beyond our thinking. Wow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.